When Christopher Luxon appeared on RNZ's morning report last Wednesday to be questioned for the second morning in a row about his handling of his by now suspended MP Sam Uffendale, the host guy in Espiner read a roll call of the National Party MPs gone rogue over recent years. In this case, uh, as you saw with the King's uh, College board. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. We're not going to go yeah. all through that, mate. You put, your, put your talking points down. I want to talk about culture in the National Party, right? Do you remember, do you remember these MPs? Andrew Falloon? Yes, I do. Yes, I do, Guy, and I know what you're talking okay. about. Hamish Walker? Yes, I do. Yes. Jake Bazant? Yes. Aaron Gilmore? Uh, yes, I've, I, I don't, yep, didn't know him personally, yep. Jamie Lee Ross? Now, that was harsh on Christopher Luxon, as all of those disgraces were before his time as party leader, and he's only even been an MP for a couple of years himself. And Aaron Gilmore is only now known for once asking, don't you know who I am, almost a decade ago. But it's his party now, and Guy Nespiner told Christopher Luxon the list could have been even longer. But we're also reliant on candidates to be really transparent about their past behaviour as yeah, well. Yeah, but, but that sounds almost farcical when you look at, and I've just named, I've probably left a few out. Well, any that he did leave out will be in the new book, Blue Blood, the inside story of the National Party in Crisis, by stuff reporter Andrea Vance. Now, this covers the National Party after it went into opposition in 2017, right up until the party settling on the current leadership, which has, by and large, settled things down a bit. Though it has been unsettled this past week, and the Blue Blood book covered times when hardly a week went by, or sometimes a day, without more stories and commentary about disunity in the party's ranks and the conduct of some of its eminently unsuitable MPs. And some of the behind-closed-door stuff wasn't reported at the time. For example, former leader Judith Collins kept the full internal review of the National Party's 2020 election defeat to her own inner circle. But Andrea Vance's Blue Blood spills some of the beans on that, alongside further insights from the party's people and staffers, some of whom are anonymous, and some of their comments, frankly, unbroadcastable, as quoted in the book. In the Listener magazine, Dan McLaughlin called it the story of how the natural party of government failed to govern itself, while reviewer Steve Braunius went so far as to call it National's autopsy report. But the party clearly hasn't actually died, as last weekend's annual conference and this week's positive poll result clearly showed. And on Q&A recently, Andrea Vance herself told the host Jack Tame why what happened then still matters now. There's a real tension between the soul of the National Party yeah. versus are they continue, going to continue to be the party of key, which I very much see as a party that exists only to exist in government, to, be, to hold power. Yeah. Now, it must have been pretty awkward for the party's people who wanted to put all of that in the past to have it all out there again in her book, but it does raise the question, why would they talk to a reporter who wanted to do all that? But Andrea Vance told the spin-off podcast Gone By Lunchtime enough times gone by now that it was actually pretty cathartic for some. In the moment, those people wouldn't have talked to me about the, the things that they said they would never have said at the time because they didn't know how it was going to play out. Andrea Vance also pointed out that Labour in opposition after 2008 had a pretty similar experience with disunity and revolving door leadership. And earlier this year, that story was told in a five-part podcast called The Wilderness by Lloyd Burr, a former News Hub political reporter who's now a host at Today FM. I think I performed creditably on the trail and the feedback that I've had from around the party is that I retain the confidence of the party. He's insistent most of his MPs are flabbergasted and most of the journalists are wondering what planet he's on. So began a PR campaign of getting to know Andrew Little. Labour produced a candid promo video of him 
featuring his mother. I, I am who I am. I'm not, I'm not going to be something I'm not. I, I do have a sense about justice and injustice that I don't tolerate. Now, the former Labour Party leader Andrew Little was prepared to tell Lloyd Burr about his rise and fall as leader for that series, but his short-lived predecessors were not. And their time at the top is instead analysed in the wilderness by Lloyd Burr's own political reporting colleagues at the time. On paper, he was really good. He had a good background. He'd been at the UN. He'd had a New Year's honour, um, stuff like that. So he had a lot of potential to be a great leader. But, yeah, wh- why wasn't he? I think you could probably say that about almost every single leader of the Labour Party over that, that period in opposition as well. On paper, people looked like they were going to be great. Phil Goff, on paper, looked like he was meant to be a Prime Minister, like every, every single step that he'd taken. Must be a bit galling for failed political leaders to have the reporters that made their lives so hard at the time doing their retrospectives a decade on. So this week I asked Lloyd Burr, what can we learn from revisiting things that were covered so intensely by the media at the time? There was no real historical record apart from a few things online, a few Wikipedia pages and whatnot. There's been sort of no book on it and I think it was quite an important moment because it was the rise of Ardern kind of weaved throughout the wilderness. You sort of saw Ardern um, either stay quiet. She kind of put her hand up with Grant Robertson initially, and then she was uh, she just she played a very good game, and then bang, her moment came. So there was that kind of part of it as well. Um, I just wanted a historic record. Is there a danger though for political reporters to overdramatise the the problems within political parties and and the personalities? I mean, these remain mass movements for all the troubles that they've had. They have a national structure, they have finance, supporters, all of that sort of thing. And if you go back into the 90s, I mean, whole new parties really broke away from both Labour and the National Party. I don't think there's a danger in dramatising it. And the dramatising only comes from passion, probably, from political reporters, because that's our life. This is what we live. Every single day we're at Parliament and we're living this. And we're living this journey alongside these politicians. And a lot of these politicians, they're leaking stuff to you or they'll tell you stuff off the record or they'll ask you to go for a beer or a whiskey or whatever. They know that they're in opposition for ages until they can sort their stuff out. So they're kind of giving you lots of inside bits. And the story is, has so many different aspects. You've got, you've got personalities going up against each other. You've got people leaking against each other. There's internal feuds. This is our job, is to report on what's going on. And for the most part, it is quite dramatic. Some of the stuff that goes on, oh my goodness, look at Cunliffe's tenure, for example. That was pretty damn dramatic. And he was only leader for, I think, less than a year. Okay. Obviously, when parties are in opposition, they're going to be preoccupied with their own electability because, you know, what's the point in cooking up the world's best policy if you can never get into government? But because of that, they have to worry an awful lot about how the reporters like you guys at that time would have been portraying them. Did you ever get the feeling that maybe the intense media focus on the problems of those leaders establishing themselves actually hastened their demise or even made it impossible for them to be able to succeed? I think that's part and parcel of the gig, and that sounds brutal and ruthless, doesn't it? But that's a huge part of your role as opposition, is selling yourself and then in turn the party and the policies is selling that to the public. And you do that through the media. If you can't face up and front up to the media and string a sentence together or you can't defend your policies or you can't sell your policies or you can't defend some wrongdoing or some scandal in your party or front up and face up and do it in an articulate way, then maybe you're not the right person for the job. Because we saw that with David Shearer. He's probably the perfect perfect example for this. He was great on paper, the perfect Labour leader and the perfect Prime Minister on paper, right, given what he's done in his past and his humanitarian work and all of that type of stuff. But get him in front of a camera, get him in front of a group of journalists, 
he faltered. Success breeds success, right? But failure also breeds failure. And in that case, failure did breed failure. And then he got overmanaged, and he had his spin doctors and media trainers all came in, and they hired media trainers to try and train him to be very good. And that just made him worse. It made him overthink it. You know, look at Ardern. She's in front of a camera. She's great. She's just herself. She's very articulate. She can do it, and she nails it. Whereas Shira just couldn't do that part of the job, and that's kind of a vital part of the job. I mean, you're probably right. We do hasten the demise, but it's probably a demise that was inevitable anyway. But I'll put it another way. I mean, because electability is so important... Did you ever get the feeling that as political reporters, at times you were just kind of analysing the political strategy of those politicians? Like almost you were reporting on a never-ending kind of popularity contest. Um, and in fact, in Andrea Vance's book, you know, she talks about these things that made news in a bad way for the National Party, you know, their MPs doing <laughs> things that involved them having to resign and so on. And then she'd say, but things stabilised one month later with the Colmar Brunton One News poll that showed their support was actually holding up. I mean... Ordinary citizens don't really think that way. Yeah, I think you're right. It, it kind of was like that. It was kind of like deja vu because you just had leadership contest after leadership contest after leadership contest. It was kind of never-ending. When you're a political reporter and you're in Parliament and you're living and breathing politics, you do kind of overthink it and you do put more focus, far more focus than it should really get, on these skirmishes and these leadership stouches and all the drama that's going on in the party. You put far more focus on that than it deserves in the public. And now not being a political reporter, but looking in at politics, you just sort of understand what beltway means. Putting so much pressure on them, really wanting to get the story. And in the grand scheme of things, I look back now and think, that really wasn't even a story. But when you're in the moment, it is your everything. It's so much more fun to cover some, a, a party that's falling apart than a government that's not. And so that's probably why a lot of the focus was on Labour. They were branding themselves as a government in waiting at the election in 2011 and in 2014, yet they weren't. They weren't a government in waiting. They were a complete shambles. And so it was important for us to tell that story. Um, and I stand by that. But looking back now, you're like, wow, we, we did put a lot of um, coverage into something that probably wouldn't be so important to the general Joe public. Yeah, so if we take one example, for, uh, for, uh, which is in that period that you're talking about, the, the Phil Goff episode, which, there's interesting parts in it where Duncan Garner, your colleague um, from back then, is and again, your colleague now at Today FM, of course, is talking about interviewing Phil Goff, and he had this policy of the capital gains tax that he wanted to put forward, also um, fruit and vegetables on GST, you know, two things he wanted to go to the election with. And Duncan was saying, well, he was looking down at his papers, and I'm telling him, no, no, if you can't tell me without looking at your notes, what's the point of this? And it all seemed quite aggressive. And, you know, we've got a housing crisis, we've got a cost of living crisis, Imagine if <laughs> if uh, capital gains tax had been debated and discussed rather than just being described as something was electorally impossible. GST, you know, he didn't cost the policy. He looked a fool when he tried to talk about it. But when you look back, do you think, well, maybe it would have been better if those ideas and things had been a bit more discussed and not just whether it could win or lose someone in the election? Yeah, that aggressive style, I guess, that's just Garner's style. And in a way, that's Paddy's style and Tova's style as well and you know that's kind of the way that things were at TV3 and it's a great style and it's great for the kind of news that you produce but I, I do stand by what Garner, the point that Garner's making anyway is that if you're going to be 
a Prime Minister in waiting, or you want to be the Prime Minister and you've got a big game-changing policy that's going to change quite a lot, like a capital gains tax, you need to know the fiscals behind it, and that was the basic premise of that. In terms of the actual policy itself, it doesn't mean that we wouldn't be in the place that we're in at the moment. It might just be a lot less hard than we're in at the moment. When Duncan Garner talked about that incident where you know, he was telling Phil Goff to say, don't look at your notes, talk to me. If you don't know it now, by now, you've got a problem. It kind of brought to mind that guy in the Australian Green Party, I think his name was Adam Bant, who recently just hit back at a, a guy during the Australian election campaign who was being asked for facts and figures on something and just shouted back at him, oh, just Google it, mate. You said in the speech that uh, wages growth wasn't going uh, particularly well. What's the current WPI? Well... <laughs> Google it, mate. I mean, <laughs> like, like. do you think that might come up next year when we have an election? Politicians might be inspired by that when I actually loved that Green Party exchange from Australia. It was actually pretty good, and I loved how the politician handled it. And Goff could have done exactly the same thing, and New Zealand politicians could use that a lot and fire back at reporters and go, "Look, I'm not interested in your gotcha. You can try and give me a gotcha question like that and make me look the fool, but I'm interested in the real issues." Da 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 da. How much is a loaf of bread? How much is a bottle of milk, all those kind of gotcha questions. It's like, well, f- you've been Googling New World and Countdown and stuff all morning, so you know. Your job is to give them a prolonged job interview to make sure that they're the right person to run the country. And those kind of gotcha questions are there. But I did, I did love that particular exchange in Australia. Because you were literally a, an intern at the time when Phil Goff was doing the capital gains tax announcement. I think your, your two senior colleagues, Patrick Gower and Duncan Garner, were... Uh, encouraging you to hold a piece of paper which made it look like you had some killer fact or something just to put him off off his stride or make him nervous or something. Um, And you you didn't even quite know why they were asking you to do it. It was the most bizarre induction to Parliament ever. It was I think it was my second day, and I went down there for a bit of a tour around Parliament, and Paddy's like, grab a bit of paper, fold it lengthways in half, where's your pen? Grab a pen. All right, come with me. Five paces behind me. All right, come on. And we strut. I just had this big grin on my face going, what the heck is going on? Who are these people? It was Garner and Patty that were just marching me around the parliament. So Was that a sort of like they thought they might unsettle Phil Goff or get him to say something that they weren't expecting? Oh, no, no, no. That, that was a tactic to intimidate me. Um, Lloyd, the Blue Blood book by Andrea Vance, she said in that, look, it, it was pretty cathartic for some of the former MPs and, and the staffers who are less famous names to kind of spill the beans to her on what it was really like behind the scenes in the National Party in recent years. Were, were people on that side of you know the Labour experience a little less uh, reticent or didn't quite have the same feeling that some of those expressed to Andrea? The difference between the wilderness and Blue Blood, I guess, is that a lot of the characters in the wilderness are now in government or they are working for government or they're consultants for government or they're working for consultants for the government. And so they didn't want to spill the beans. They didn't want to... Um, brass anyone off. Even, even off the it. record or off yeah, tape? Well, it, off the record, a few of them spoke, and I could use some of that, but when you're doing a podcast, it's quite hard to have <laughs> off-the-record chat because you need audio, right? <laughs> exactly. So I, I included a lot of that in in my commentary or some of the bits. It's like, you know, staffers off the record told me that this was the worst time or, you know, Cunliffe was the worst leader to work for because he'd change his mind a gillion, gazillion times a day. Maybe for Andrew Little it was cathartic because he was keen as. I think he replied to my request for an interview within sort of half an hour. I was like, yep, I'll do it next time I'm up in Auckland. I didn't get a response at all from Ardern or from David Shearer. So, yeah, maybe just cathartic for Andrew Little. 
That was Lloyd Burr, former News Hub political reporter and currently the afternoon host of the talk station Today FM, who made and presented the podcast series The Wilderness, all about the years when the Labour Party suffered from instability, infighting and revolving door leadership, a decade before the National Party began suffering the same things after 2017.